0: cell phone
1: yeah i think he said he was to going, to, going to try from his can phone. you hear us he can looks very he excited
0: oh, <laughs> oh my, my god <laughs> <laughs>
1: yay. Yay. yay
2: but now it's... i've lost you all i don't know where you are don't worry about it we can see
3: I'm
4: you we can,
1: you hear us. If you can hear
0: us yeah. <laughs> we
2: can see you we can hear you i think your
0: computer's haunted man it yeah. is haunted Someone's the next uh, Grady Hendrix book, the sequel to the last one, the yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How to sell a haunted computer. <laughs> yeah. all
0: dead. Hello, welcome back. We're uh, yeah, that was a long break. It's about a little over three months, and we ended on episode two hundred four. It's called uh, "Rising Together." Me, Candice, Paul Tremblay, Sarah Lang, and John Lang, and Victor Laval and Livia Llewellyn, uh and Larry Barron. We all got together, and now we are coming back to episode 205, where a panel that we've been uh, really pumped for. It's called Down Under because we are focused on authors based or uh, born in Australia. And we got Alan Baxter. He and I have been talking about this for probably two or three years now. Alan, you're
4: required hey, here I, once hey. a
0: season. How are you? I'm good. I'm good.
3: We finally got it organized. We're finally here. Yes, that. what you just said about the last episode. That's a
0: hell of an episode to follow, isn't it? <laughs> Trimlay, Langan. <laughs> oh, my God. You, you, you guys are awesome, too. Um, and, oh, I'm sorry. I skipped my uh, say hello to my co-hosts, my fellow hosts, my friends. Brennan LaFaro. Say hello, Brennan. Hello, everybody. Say hello, Candice Nola. Hello, everyone. The other panelists are Karen Warren. Say hello, Karen hi everybody
5: good to be here uh
0: jay ashley smith uh hello there anthony o'connor g'day legends and and uh aaron dry say hello aaron hello aaron
5: good to see you all Oh, my God.
2: Are you ready? If we're going to do a down under panel, I think it's really important that for the benefit of international <laughs> listeners, Australians describe what a DAG is, a D-H-G yeah. DAG. Yeah. Uh, d- Does this translate to anyone not born in Australia? Do you know what a DAG is?
6: I didn't know until I got here. No. Okay. I, I knew from watching, from watching Neighbours in the UK. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, yeah. I
3: still didn't quite know really what it meant, and I didn't realise where it came from, which is genuinely gross. Yeah.
1: yeah. Now so really I'm
2: really confused. confused. Yeah, you not Scient- going to tell us? Or? Yeah, well, I'll tell you. So scientifically a dag is a piece of, like, sheep shit that forms in the coagulated kind of fur at the end of a sheep's arsehole. That's a dag, like those little balls of, of like frosty shit that kind of build. That's a dag. My but God, Australia- how did we get here so quickly? <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> mean,
7: <laughs> it's true. Take that
2: traveling. Australians the lower that time <laughs> yeah. with, with, like, I'm talking about the shit. Um, he, and, but what happens is that, so basically, to call somebody a dag in Australia is actually kind of a term of endearment because we're kind of like, it's really? like, yeah. Kind of- Oh, Dude, totally. Get the it's, fuck out of
7: here, yeah. are you kidding me? It's
2: a nice. It is, it is. To self-identify as a dag means that I'm like, I tell like the really bad jokes, you know, I wear those, you know, the, the odd socks. It's kind of that slightly, <laughs> you know, and I, I would think of my best friend, all my best friends are dags. That'll be the title of my memoir one day. So all <laughs> you
4: know, no, that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah.
0: I should yeah. a evil you wrote, dog,
2: like a
4: pleasant, you, appable dog kind of thing.
0: If you wrote, yeah, that's right, uh, exactly. Ellen in Rue, your book, Rue, at the beginning or end, I forget, I think it's the end now. Uh, you have a um, you have Australian phrases or uh, terms like, yeah, yeah it's a glossary. Yeah, if yeah. you wrote a book size of that and illustrated and said some wrote some funny stories, I guarantee that yeah. shit would sell. I'd buy a dag, yeah,
7: he <laughs> wrote notes.
0: I ended up copying that
3: page onto my website somewhere. I need to, I've been fixing my website, but I need to fix up. So I've been working on it and building it into a bigger page. It's like a full Australian glossary as a page on my site. So I'll uh, I'll have to figure out where I put it and tidy it up for, yeah. And I'll make sure DAG's included literal and colloquial meanings. Anthony's got
5: a fantastic <laughs> glossary in his book, by the way. I don't know if you others have seen that. I love your right. one. Yeah it's, oh, the, yeah, it's, yeah, it's actually just the most brilliant comic work of anything I've seen in a long time. Absolutely brilliant. New well,
4: the whole words, book's kind whole of words. in this kind of fractured uh, st- future Australian dystopian dialect. So, you know, I- I've managed to confuse lots of Americans and POMs who uh, no, people no, no, from let, the UK.
0: Let's well. back up, Anthony, talk about that. This is about down under. Look, you guys just topped every single thing that we tried to come up with for an introduction. So, Anthony, we're talking about you now. <laughs> Tell us all about it for those that aren't familiar with what book you're talking about. Um, oh yeah. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's Straya.
4: it It uh, by me, um, it, it's kind of like, um, I guess the elevator pitch would be it's Mad Max meets the thing in terms of the story, <laughs> but it's set in a kind of futuristic Australia that's dystopian as fuck and everything's destroyed. And everyone speaks in this kind of fractured, broken mixture of um, Australian colloquialisms and, and guttural speak. Uh, very similar to Australian, uh, Australia in, in modern life, to be honest, but um, just more monsters in this one. Um, and so I had a lot of fun kind of playing with uh, the Australian vernacular, which is this fascinating, brutal poetry of, of sweary slang nonsense, um, which is just, it's, it's just wonderful to behold. It really is a beautiful language because of how ugly and gross and coarse it is. Um, and I, 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 I mind that for a lot of fun.
0: So that is uh, that's kind of like Anthony Burgess's 1962 novel, A Clockwork Orange. Absolutely correct. I love that one. Um, It's just, you know, it's happening. And just like you said, he, he basically fluffs up brutality, but it's so weird. It's such a weird juxtaposition.
4: And and the first five pages are like, I have no idea what's going on, which is probably a lot of people's experience with Australia, but like, five pages in, you suddenly get it, it clicks and it becomes part I of
3: it. It's like reading Shakespeare or something like that, you know. Yeah, like,
4: exactly. exactly.
3: It, it, it's cohesive, but it takes you a while to zone in and lock into it. And so you yeah. just have that commitment, for, like you said, the first five pages, bit of commitment or something, then you zone in. Yeah, yeah no,
5: absolutely. I, it makes me think of your book, made me think of uh, Ridley Walker as well as the other connective you know, work, other I think, with that same yeah. sort of new, new, new old language mix. And it takes you a little while to realise what places he's talking about, that sort of thing. So mm. I love that sort of slow recognition of the sort of places that you're talking about in, in New Sydney and uh, New Australia.
0: That's actually Interesting. pretty intelligent to come up with a history of language. But um, I uh, wanted to say don't skip the biggest brag about that book, but, you know, Tom Savini blurbed it. That's. Oh, yeah, man. That's, an, um, that's insane. That's so cool, man. Like he's one of the coolest guys in horror film.
4: Oh, yeah. I mean, he's. He he did the special effects for Dawn of the Dead and, and Friday the 13th. Like he's the, the maestro of Mayhem. And of it was him, the and George,
0: him and George uh, yeah, Romero. Yeah, that,
4: that double team that, that brought us the greatest zombie films of all time. Um, He actually did the special makeup effects on a film I wrote called Red Ink. Uh, it's it's known as Inhuman Resources in the States. I think it's on HBO, I think. Um, And uh, we sort of got friendly after that. And um, he has an Australian... Wife, who is a friend of mine, Jody, uh, and she, he loves he loves Australian vernacular. Like he loves coming here. He comes here and and, and learns all the, the the way we speak and and is fascinated by. It. Apparently, we say yeah 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 all the time. Like, he's yeah, like yeah, you guys
2: always say yeah yeah yeah, and I'm like yeah yeah yeah
4: yeah no, yeah yeah. Apparently, that's the thing we do. Um and yeah, and he was nice enough to read it and give lovely comments. And he actually um gave comments on both my books. So he's just a a, a really a real gent real legend, actually.
0: And then, real quick, mention what that new book is. Again, you have a just an insanely cool
4: cover. Oh, thanks, man. Um, the, the latest one is After, which is kind of like a cozy, um, nice. I guess, beetlejuice type of ghost story. Um, certainly Australian, uh, sort of rural Australia again, but just with regular person English this time, not with the, the whole vernacular thing. And
0: uh, since uh, we we talked about film a little bit, Aaron... I'm not saying talk about your film exactly, but like the last what two years, give or take, for you has been pretty insane. And if you want, if there's anything you can
2: talk about, there's not not much. There's not much that I can talk about other than to say that I've got my fingers in a number of cinema pies (laughs) and none of them are completely baked yet and these these things are but but two are incredibly close um one of which is really close and I got edits back from the producer um for another pass on that screenplay just this morning so We'll see what happens. Maybe next time we catch up, I can tell you something more concrete. Other than to say that my writing fiction has been a lot slower over the last year and a half because I've been writing screenplays at a very quick clip, honestly. Um, and hopefully, some, hopefully something gets made soon. Uh, but uh, there's there's things I'm, I can't say yet, but it was so, so close.
0: That's awesome. And, you know, I'll just say a big brag for you too, Mick Garris. He's, he's just his past like hocus pocus alone is amazing but um his his uh past and his filmography is just unreal it's
2: like yeah, big yeah, hit yeah. after big hit and he I- he's incredibly generous too like he's incredibly generous um it was inc- very very humbling for him to do the introduction to cut to care it was a real um a really touching thing, uh, and he is uh, like if anyone ever is over in LA and kind of even peripherally dipping their toes in the horror cinema scene over there, everyone talks of of Mick as being kind of the the, the connective tissue between um, so many different factions from writers to directors to special effects people to uh, to actors and everything. It's he's just a very generous guy and genuine. So. I was so super happy that he said yes to that.
0: Yeah, that that's so cool, man. Um, and now I want to go to Jay Ashley Smith. Talk about your new book as much as you want. The Measure of Sorrow: Stories. What can you tell us? Oh,
6: thank you. So I'll I'll copy Anthony here and uh, hold up a picture of it backwards. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so this is it's a collection of stories. I mean, from the last pretty much the last seven to ten years. They're um, I guess kind of quite. Sad, strange, unsettling. You know, it's sort of weird, quiet horror um, spread over a bunch of stories. What, what, what more can you say about that? I don't
5: know. No, yeah. <laughs> also, I want you to tell, tell them about um, sort of the setting for the for the novella and the Measure of Sorrow. Talk a bit oh, about okay. that because I just find that like it's such an amazing, such a very Australian setting. So I reckon Absolutely. set the scene for them a little bit about yeah. where it is and what made you think of it and what real place inspired it.
6: Thank you karen coming to my rescue there yeah so the, the, title, the title novella um is set in a a, a farm stay uh, you know in new south wales and i don't know if farm stays are a big thing in the us but um you know it's where it's a farm where they have a kind of airbnb kind of deal where you can sort of rock up and be surrounded by sheep and uh you know live the sort of farm experience while on holiday and uh a a son father and son at the end of a kind of disastrous beach holiday rocking up to this um rocking up to this farm stay, where there is a um a, a pretty kind of evil looking barn that really shouldn't be there and uh that the father has a strange compulsion for um a disastrous compulsion yeah it's a very it is a very Australian setting like I, I always find it kind of quite weird to be being you know i grew up in england so um there's a sort of touch of weirdness about everything in australia to me you know um the, the settings and the places and you know the way that people talk all the things they do so i get really kind of uh, a big kick out of particularly the natural landscape and how um desolate and alien and uh you know wonderful it is in that way And i think a lot of that comes from oh. quite a few of those stories
3: they're cornering the market on evil barns. there. are do,
6: doing what yeah. Stephen did <laughs> <He has laughs> with cars. Is he going to do it with barns? It's a sort of it's an offshoot of the haunted house. You know, like it's yeah, yeah. a sub-genre.
4: <laughs> Joseph, can I say I am currently reading your book, and I had to stop about uh, two weeks ago. And this this is one hundred percent true. One of the stories was so effective, it gave me nightmares, and I had a, an anxiety attack when I woke up. Like I'm quite. I've been wanting to tell you this for a while. This is quite one hundred percent real. Uh, the one about, uh, I don't want to spoil it, but it, it involves rats. Oh, so yeah. I read that story. This, I mean, it was beautifully written. Like, the writing is incredible and and rich and textured, right? So it's it's beautiful to read. But I read that and I'm like, oh, good story. I think I read it in the bath, right? So I had a bath, went to bed, fucking nightmares, woke up like, ah! And then I was like, oh, and, and I'm like, wait, why am I feeling like this? You know, I, I got my shit in control. I haven't had anxiety like this for a while. I'm like, it was fucking Joseph. Yeah, that fucking story. This, this is an endorsement it needs to go on the back of the book. Gave me an anxiety Yeah, too. So uh, yeah, yeah. Like I am, I am no weak sister when it comes to this stuff. I watch Cannibal Holocaust for fun, but this <laughs> 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 it got so far under my skin. It is superb, quite as you say, quiet horror, but it, it doesn't pull back on on kind of the hard stuff when it needs to. And it was just, it's really wonderfully effective that I will slowly finish reading uh, because it freaks me out, man. <laughs>
6: well, thank you, I'm both sorry and absolutely at the same time so that's uh, <laughs> yeah me too kind of like I'm like I, I love that stuff can affect me like that but also Jesus dude yeah there's more <laughs> that's <laughs> more where that came from
0: yeah so now we'll move to you Karen Karen Warren you have two books coming out next year and talking about covers the book that uh, uh, tell me if I'm not pronounce this correctly calvaria fell stories uh you co-wrote that with cat sparks and the yes cover is i don't even know how to describe it it looks like something you would see depicting like french freedom you know after the french revolution it just looks so fucking cool yeah yeah it's what a great can cover Can you tell us about working with someone on a collection of stories or Sorry, not a collection, a, a novel. Um, and what can you tell us about what the cover, uh, how it connects to your story, if it doesn't spoil um-
5: no, no, no. Well, it's not. It's a, it is a collection of stories. So um, we've both written. I've, I've got a new novella in there and then I've got some reprints and Cat has a couple of new stories and plus some reprints as well. And it came about, like we had vaguely talked about doing this before, um, these are definitely more of my science fictional type stories uh, in this collection. It's a little bit about imagined futures, I guess. And Cat uh, is very much an environmental um, uh uh, what's the word, protester, you know, she's really, really big in activism. Activism, um, And so her stories re- definitely have definitely had that slant for a long time now. Uh, and I wrote a novella um, which I didn't end up trying to sell anywhere because I wasn't sure what to do with it. It's set in an old uh, shopping mall. I basically sat there and watched hours and hours on YouTube of those amazing sh- empty shopping malls, which you do in America better than anywhere else. The dead shopping mall is an absolute fascination of mine. Uh, and, So it's set some unknown time in the future, a bunch of kids live in this shopping mall and they basically keep themselves alive by sorting through the shops and selling what they find Um, and orders come in and they sell the stuff. Anyway, so the whole thing is set in this abandoned shopping mall, which is pretty much inspired by the shopping mall that was where I used to hang out as a teenager Um, but also inspired by watching all of these YouTube videos. But my entire story is just set in the shopping mall. And the only editor I sent it to said, oh, but what's happening outside the shopping mall? And I said, I don't want to tell that story. That's not the story I want to tell. So I kind of decided that I needed to figure out how to tell the rest of the story without changing my novella. Kat and I realised that we were both telling stories that were kind of telling that outside. So we put them into one world and one collection. So, yeah, and I've got a story, um, actually one of my, my uh, short-lettered stories is in there as well. Um, uh, everything's so slow and quiet. It's kind of like at the end of the world when there's just one woman walking on the beach and what she's seeing and what she's hearing uh, as as the world kind of slowly sinks, I guess. So it's, it's, it's kind of a dark, it's a dark collection, but there's little threads of uh, positive through there as well. It's about humanity and how we how we uh, make the most of whatever environment we're in, as bad as it gets, but also hopefully a bit of a, a warning call. Because I think we can, we can uh, do this activism stuff through fiction in some ways better than in fact. Otherwise, it feels like people are just telling you, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. In fiction, you can kind of trick people um, into maybe changing their behaviours. Okay. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what that that's how that happened. So we didn't really work together. I don't know. I, we actually would, I don't think, work together very well at all as far as writing together. Um, we both have very different styles, which is how, why this book works, I think. We both have very different styles, different ways of working. I think we would probably murder each other if we co-wrote something <laughs> together. So we don't want that.
4: <laughs> that would be a cool story, though, right?
5: That would be a cool Warren story. Warren versus
4: Sparks.
5: <laughs> So
4: I watch definitely watched that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right?
0: And then you got the Why other are you book. <laughs> you had the other book, The Under History. Could I read it's on uh Goodreads, so it's like public, but do you mind if I read the first paragraph of the synopsis? Because it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. People come to visit my home and I love to show them around. Of course, it's not the original house where it happened. That was destroyed when my entire family died. But I don't think their ghosts know the difference. Holy (laughs) shit. Give me that book now. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Um, That sounds awesome. Brennan or Candace, I've been talking too much. I just wanted to get through everyone having a shot. Now you two lead the way. (laughs) Fight over it. Bye, Brennan.
1: Candace, after you.
7: Oh, okay, then. Well since we um already took care of the intros so to speak I'm going to add on to that because I kind of like to start out by asking about who you are outside of the words who are you when you're not in front of your screen or your notepad or your pen like what else do you do what makes you tick other than the books and the stories so anybody who wants to start go ahead and then we'll just go on down the road
6: man i feel like i just completely disappear outside (laughs) outside of that (laughs) you know my body is sort of walking around in the world doing shit doing a job uh you know i'm being unfair there's my whole family i love you know (laughs) uh, know, being a father being a husband that kind of makes me feel alive but in, t- in terms of outside of it i f- kind of really feel and sorry this is me being one of those dicks that just flips the question and answers what i want it to be but like i really don't feel like i come alive or i'm touching reality outside of um you know sorry outside of the family search setting mm-hmm. if i'm not writing you know it makes things realer yeah
4: I don't think there's that much separation with me. I think like I'm just a massive dork that likes language and fucking around. And then when I write, I'm a massive dork that likes language and fucking around. Like, I don't think there's this big separation When I'm in a mode, It's just, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm just putting the stuff on paper. I, I think for me, it's channeling a lot of um, sort of anxiety and angst, uh, mm. which, you know, uh, I, I've lived with my whole life, a bit of a family curse. And then kind of channeling it into something positive, um, rather than you know the, the many ways it can be channeled into negative things. So yeah, I don't I don't think there's this 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 Jekyll and Hyde switch um, for me. But I, I think that's that's quite different for a lot of people. Um, I mean, I also write as my various day jobs as well. Like I review stuff mm. as well, so it's all it's all kind of writing. Whereas yeah. someone like Alan is like he's a literal ninja karate dude. Like <laughs> during the day,
3: right? I, I don't do karate. Oh, no, okay. It's Kung Fu, but... uh, Oh, I'm sorry. But yeah. It's interesting because, I mean, a lot of the time, like, I I get really on a high horse when people start talking about writing rules and all this sort of stuff. You've got to write every day and all that bollocks. Um, But I do think it's true that when when you do this you are a writer every day regardless of how frequently you're actually writing so i was talking about this recently with, with in something else that you kind of you always like observe the world and move through the world as a writer it's it's not necessarily that we notice more than other people but we notice everything and then we remember it and then we tuck it away to ferment in that little weird cupboard in the brain and then it kind of germinates and reemerges as story so I think regardless of what, I mean, I've been a van driver, I've worked security at nightclubs, I've been a fishmonger, I've, you know, I teach Kung Fu now as well as writing. There's that many different things that go on. But throughout all of that, I've also also—I've existed as a writer because I've always had that sort of, yeah, I don't know, that sort of observational mindset and that desire to just turn experience into story. So, yeah.
0: Okay. Do you ever
4: have that moment where, like, you're mid-trauma? And like, oh, this sucks. But there's a, like a little part of you going, this is going to make a great story though. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> like this is
3: to sure Literally during trauma before, but in the, <laughs> in, in the <laughs> so process. Like you of-
4: meet someone and they're just the most insufferable asshole, and you're like, I hate this person. You're definitely oh, getting killed off. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to yeah, kill yeah. you so bad, man. <laughs> I
3: spend a lot of time in, if I'm in cafes or if I'm in the supermarket or whatever else, I've always got my headphones on. Um, but probably 50 to 75 percent of the time there's nothing playing through them because i'm just listening and yes. <laughs> uh, what's going on around and just paying attention and you're standing there you know feeling the avocados to feel which one's soft and there's this couple next to you talking about you know euthanizing the cat or whatever you just get something that that you just sort of notice out in the world all the time i, I just soak that stuff up like a sponge man
4: yeah it's
0: a- so what does a fishmonger do i don't know if that's you know common knowledge shot all, all you guys but i got no clue of, and i'm
6: curious makes armor out of fish nailed it <laughs> <laughs> thank you next question yeah.
4: <laughs> is is fishmonger not an american like do you not have yeah like is that not an american what, what do you call
3: what do you call people who sell fish like a butcher but fish
5: the fishmonger <laughs> <laughs> that's a fishmonger right no, we, we call it a fish mongrel, don't it's we? It's a fish mongrel. Yeah, a fish mongrel. It a fish mongrel.
4: Yeah. Come and have a beer, you fish
5: mongrel. Yeah, <laughs> fish mongrel. not your fishy. Yeah. And you don't want to have a beer with a fishy mongrel. What's no. that? Right? We avoid the fishiness. Yeah, they're stinky. Um, yes, I really agree with these guys. And I, I don't know, it's something that's really hard to explain to a non writer, I think, just how much being a writer is about 80% of who you are as a human being. Um, like when someone says, oh, you'll give up writing one, one day, I'm like, well, I literally cannot. Like it is 80% <laughs> yeah. of who I, who I actually am. <laughs> yeah. um, and the other 20% for me is yeah, just hang, hanging out with friends, with family, um, watching crap on TV. I do love to cook, love, love cooking yummy dinners and that sort of thing. Um, and I work two days a week in a secondhand shop. Um, which mm-hmm. is all stuff that people have taken to the tip, which I don't know what you call it there, where you take your rubbish basically. Mm-hmm. And the people who own my shop go through the rubbish and bring it into the shop and we sell it and we make you know, make plenty of money. So yeah. that's absolutely fascinating. Um, and just yeah. watching customers come and go and absolutely they all start to inhabit my stories because how could you not? Mm-hmm. There's this, we were talking about these ones last night. I think Aaron was there at our dinner last night. There's these two older ladies called, they're both called Debbie. Debbie, oh, Debbie, how you going, Debbie? Come in, Debbie, look. there's. And they collect dolls. They collect ceramic dolls and every and they just, day they come in and they wait, want wait, more sorry. of those creepy, creepy dolls. I and think... they come in on that they've got the little motorised little chair things and they're, oh, Debbie, there's more dolls. Debbie, Debbie. So, you know, so while I'm at work serving the Debbies and looking after the Debbies, I'm thinking, you poor ladies are going in one of my stories. There is no doubt Karen, so,
0: sorry about interrupting. I just had nice. to ask the two Debbies. They're not sisters, both named Debbie, right? They're just friends.
5: <laughs> I, think they're, I don't think they're sisters. Well, they could be mother and daughter. It's very hard to tell um, exactly Whoa. how old they are. But, yes, anyway, you know. They, I'm I kind don't of obsessed with
4: the Debbies now, I'm not going to lie. The De- right?
5: Debbies. you got to come and meet the Debbies.
4: That's hilarious. It's
5: like and you've got to and clear Andy's. the whole shop because do. I they, they really are. They're very large and they have very large motorized chairs each. Oh, wow. With lots of bags they Just they are fascinating people. But I really love that because it does, it's physical work at the shop and the whole time I'm looking after other people and thinking yeah. about other people. So it takes me out of my head. Um, and I'm not really thinking about being a writer while I'm doing that because it's such yeah. a, it's really physically demanding but great fun and it's a really good contrast to that really internal writerly stuff that you do most of the rest yeah. of the time.
7: Okay.
2: Am I up next? I'm here to tone down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my my day job encompasses significant parts of my life, and writing is part of my way of my coping strategy with my day job. I work with um in a number of vulnerable people, but primarily at the moment with victims and survivors of childhood sexual abuse. Um, I, and I have, over the past, you know, 20 years worked in homelessness advocacy, uh, practitioner work with people with complex trauma, um, women and children surviving family and domestic violence, and... Uh, and uh, people who normally uh don't don't they slip through the cracks and that's where i kind of um kind of have worked and and made my specialty so i do kind of carry around this <laughs> little kind of shadow gremlin on my shoulders that that is just the accumulation of uh of all of it, all of that trauma and if i don't kind of just kind of bleed it out a little bit it does tend to get very very heavy it, and there have been times in my life where it has got too heavy and i haven't shaken it off and um and but writing has become my outlet for that in a really great way that means that i feel like i can uh, you know, work in a healthy and happy way and have the, the mental space to go out for dinner last night with Karen and Cat and Sparks and for us to talk about them and to watch them basically kill each other as they try to collaborate and the like uh, and, and to have fun uh, on things like this and yet still have time to write and f- to feel like I've got that balance. But it also probably explains why my fiction does tend to be of a certain type of fiction um and it is literally just all that drama on the page it's, it's probably why it's dark but i guess it's um hopefully it's an empathetic invitation for people to explore uh certain parts of the world that we sometimes otherwise don't want to look at and that's why i think horror is perfect because uh, and karen has said this many times to me but horror doesn't flinch don't flinch um and that's why i really like this genre and that's what My relationship is to my work. So that's what I do outside of work.
6: And can I just jump in to say, in echo of what Aaron said, if you've not read his collection, Cut to Care, get on it and read that, because it's absolutely the quintessence of what Aaron's describing here. uh,
7: My second uh, Yeah. Thank
6: you. All right,
7: I want to
1: jump in with... uh, kind of a broad and relatively unfair question, because if it were presented to me, I'm not really sure how I'd answer it. So what I want to ask you all is, do you find that there are any characteristics, topics, or tropes that are kind of present in Australian horror or, like, fiction at period, uh, whether or not you actively explore them in your own work? Um, Alan, let's start with you. Kangaroos,
3: um,
1: of course, bit yeah. obvious.
3: Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's the easy one. Right, right there, right there, there it is, right there. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. They, I think everywhere has a particular um, sort of sensibility, and you, you, we kind of get saturated with American content. So um, everywhere is kind of aware of so many of the American idiosyncrasies. Um, which is not so true for Americans of everywhere else, but everywhere. And like Joseph mentioned it earlier, saying because same as Joseph, I grew up in the UK, so like like ev- everywhere is weird to me now. It's like I have an accent wherever I go because over here people say I sound like a pom. When I go back to the UK, everyone's like, "Oh God, you sound like such an Aussie." It's like everywhere I go, I have an accent. Like everywhere is weird. Like I haven't been in the UK for a quarter of a century, living there, so it's different now to where i grew up and australia isn't where i grew up so it's weird and different and strange and so all those kind I, i explore a lot of those sorts of um discrepancies in a lot of the sort of horror that i do a lot of that kind of stuff things like you know where i write stuff like the gulp and that it's always about somewhere that's both familiar but also weird and strange and not quite right so for me that's what Australia's like because i've lived here for almost half my life but i didn't grow up here and it's always going to be weird and strange and not quite right um as well as the fact that it's just you know it's a continent as well which does my head in like it's you can you you travel from one state to another it's like traveling from one country to another so you know i can get i would i would ride my motorcycle in the uk we'd get on the ferry at dover we get off in calais and ride to berlin Effectively, you could ride through three or four countries in the course of a day without thinking twice about it, whereas you do that from Sydney and you're not even halfway across New South Wales. So, it it like these things become whether you intend them to or not. These things kind of become infused in in the stories and stuff that you write that are set in these places. And it's become important to me to to set stuff in Australia. Like, funnily enough, I mean, weirdly enough, it started with the Roo because that was a joke. You know, it was a gag and it ended up just really taking off um, and made me realise just how hungry people were for stories that were very much Australian. I and mean, that's what led me to then write The Gulf and The Fall. Um, and since then, I've very much embraced the weirdness that is Australia in, in what I write. So, and I think, I think that's true of a lot of us that we do that. And, you know, Joseph does the same. And even, you know... It, I can't think of any of us that don't embrace at least slightly that Australian aspect of what we do, even when we write things that are not specifically set in Australia. or don't have to be that sort of sensibility comes through. I think, I think it's kind of unavoidable, really. I don't even know if that answered your question, but I just ran.
4: Australia is a deeply yeah. weird country, though. It's this weird contradiction. Like we've, we've, it's sort of like this primeval, ancient land, and on the edges of it, we've got sort of bronze casual larrikins you know drinking yeah. beer and getting cancer from the sun on the beach and then we've got the largest collection of like deadly uh animals and insects like just everywhere well, that, it's just-
3: that's a perfect example right because everybody's yeah. always talking about everything in australia will kill you you know there's sharks yeah. there's a snake there's a spider's now and what people tend to avoid but it's no less true is that australia itself will kill you like it eats a few tourists every year they go wandering off they go oh we're going to take a drive through the outback and you know it's like at least two or three german tourists disappear the, in western They Australia get left on the barrier reef
4: or in the desert and they're just Yeah, okay, left, left like, on the barrier. Oh, well, I was, Sorry, when, mate, we, we I was, lost a couple. Sorry.
3: Yeah, you know, they, it, you, you know it's, it's it's acceptable losses it's collateral. When I was first in Australia I we drove down I, I arrived I'd been in southeast asia for months traveling and I first arrived in Australia in Darwin. So my first experience of Australia was Darwin in summer which was a unique thing in itself. But then we would sort of drove down through the middle and we were driving all over. And at one point, we basically turned right at Tennant Creek, heading across the Northern Territory and heading towards Queensland, cross country, which is basically just days of fuck all. And at one point, we'd been going along for a couple of hours and we came across this guy walking along, rolling a wheel, like a car wheel, along the side of the road. And he was hot and sweating and pink and like, what the fuck are you doing? And we pulled over and he's, he's like, oh, we got a puncture. And basically, they didn't have a spare. Most people who know half, you know, have got any modicum of sense take at least two spares when you're driving in Australia. But this guy, they got a they got a flat tyre, didn't have a spare. His mate was waiting with the car. He'd already been walking for three hours. We'd driven two hours before we reached him, and he's just rolling this wheel along. And he was planning to walk it to somewhere, get it fixed, and walk it back. Like his mate would have been dead before he got the tire fixed and he probably would. Anyway, so we ended up driving him to this place, getting it fixed and driving him back with a load of water and everything else. But, you know, these, these this sort of thing that can happen in this country that people just don't take the country itself seriously. You don't need to worry about the spiders and the snakes and anything else. People just get literally eaten by Australia itself. It's brilliant.
4: The land will swallow you and the local. Yeah, yeah, land yeah. will you hold. Yeah.
6: Talking about like you, you know, so Brennan, your question was kind of around what are the tropes in Australia, I guess it's also Australian fiction or what makes something uniquely Australian. And I think there's a real there's a real gradient of that, like a real spectrum that goes from the kind of um I'm gonna take your name in vain here, Alan and you, Anthony. So but both from the sort of Australia through, and I'd argue kind of Wolf Creek kind of end of the spectrum, which is that very what an international audience, how they see Australia, um, you know, it's that kind of perception of that this is all of Australia through to, you know, quite um, sort of, I guess, more sort of subtly Australian in the sense that it's kind of uh, perhaps more like urban Australian, or um, you'd only really, you read it, and you go, fuck, this is super Australian, but it doesn't have any of that kind of um, any of the recognisable trappings. I think of a book like um, Karen's first novel Slights, which is like one of the most Australian novels ever written, but it's but it doesn't have any of those kind of like obvious Australia tropes. I don't think there's a single kangaroo in the whole thing. Um, but it's it's so kind of because it's all kind of through the voice of this very unique character, but you a uniquely aus, sort of urban Australian character it's absolutely dripping with Australianness, you know, <laughs> um, but in this kind of quite um, unconventional way. So I think there's a real, um, there, there isn't really just one or two things you can point to. It's a real. Um,
3: there's a perfect example of that just recently, not in book, but in film we've talked to me, there's the new horror movie um, talk to me that's just come out. It's absolutely outstanding. It's a brilliant, brilliant film. And it's made in, it's made in Adelaide, it's South Australia. And it, and that's exactly like what you're talking about Joseph. It is so Australian, but completely doesn't matter. It doesn't draw anything like there's at one point where they um they hit a roux driving home one night that might just as well be a deer, but otherwise, other than the accents, you wouldn't necessarily know it was Australian in terms of content and story and whatever else. And yet, it is so Australian in the way the characters interact and everything like that. And one of the—I th- mean, it's a brilliant horror movie. But one of the things I liked about it the most was how it was just unashamedly Australian and just a brilliant story all the same. You know,
0: I got one for you. Martin Freeman's Cargo—that movie is amazing, and it yeah, yeah. definitely tackles the social, economical uh, situations of modern Australia. Like it talks about oh. the Indigenous people and Martin, who's a white dude. And his baby, you know, like that, that movie is still terrifying. Oh, I haven't seen it. I'll have to check it out.
4: I oh, haven't seen Cargo. It's based on one of the great shorts, like one of the greatest so short man. films. And it's expanded really well. And it's this amazing stuff it does with like indigenous characters. And there was a rumor for a while there was going to be another one that followed more the indigenous story. And it just didn't happen. It would have been amazing. I'll have to check it out. It really, really nails like a, a kind of Australian vibe. But um, you talked about uh, Karen before. Karen, all your books are set in this weird other world, but they all feel very Australian. Is that like uh, a deliberate thing with you? Like, is, is that your kind of your way of doing the Australian thing?
5: Yeah, yeah, and I don't really necessarily want to like uh, identify with a particular place. Like, I want everyone to feel like it could be their place. And um, like slides in particular, that's one that people said, "Oh, yeah, that was set in Perth, wasn't it?" And then other someone else was like, "Oh, wasn't that? that was Brisbane?" I, I know it was Brisbane, and it wasn't any of those places. It was just a conglomeration of all of them. Warren World, basically, and yeah. Anthony, I think. Um, yeah, so the, I deliberately don't um, necessarily identify. Like the Under History is the next one. I kind of know where it's set, but I never. want to be too specific about um, which exact uh, little country town it was set in or which area it was. Um, yeah, but still just managing to have those little details about supermarkets and how supermarkets work and all that sort of thing.
4: So I remember but Binners uh, felt like it really feels like it's set in Australia with the, some colloquialisms and whatnot, but again, it's never explicit.
5: I never say where it is. Yeah, yeah. so everyone can think that it's um, near them. You can look out the door and you can see this giant metal man. Um, I think um, to go back to Brendan, your question about this to me, one of the tropes or the fields of Australia, is something that all of us tackle in our fiction, um, is the isolation, and that's what the the guys have been saying a little bit about how easy it is to get you know, to get eaten by Australia, um, the isolation and the distance between places, um, and how careful you have to be of that. There's going way back into the past. There's a, a, a a trope called the drover's wife, which was originally a poem, uh, and it, but it's been a painting, it's been a movie, it's been a novel. Um, this idea that of the woman left alone while the husband goes off droving to take the cattle across across the country, or even you know he's away for three or four weeks at a time, and she's left alone there in the bush with a kid, no way of communication, no other adult around her, just her and the baby. Um, and it's about the battles that she goes through. And I love that. It's about the, the strength of a woman and how much she'll do to, to keep her kid alive, um, how she's got to step up and know that she can rely on nobody else. It's her and it's her against Australia, basically. Uh, the snakes and the, the heat and all the rest of it. So, I th- And I think that that, that sense uh, follows through all Australian horror in particular. Australian fiction as well, but Australian horror has this thread of how easy it is and how quickly you can be isolated and how quickly it can all turn turn on you. Um, I think that's kind of a trope that you can't quite avoid if you're riding, if you're setting something set in Australia. I
4: was like uh, the movie Razorback, um, which you is say? basically about, you're gonna, yeah, okay, so like it's, it's about a giant pig that is killing a bunch of people, but that's not even close to what's the amazing thing about Razorback. The amazing thing about Razorback is the locals and the environment and these kind of, Devastated-looking outback shots and, and just... And that, that, that really captures a sense of of how deeply strange this place is.
3: So, so when I was about... When did when did Razorback come out? Like 92 80, or something? Yeah. Or 89? Anyway, so I would have been in my early 20s, like 20, 21 years old. And me and my friends, we used to get together of a Friday night. We would go to Blockbuster. We would pick a video that we would watch, we'd, then we'd drop it home, go to the pub, get drunk, come back and watch whatever movie we, we'd selected earlier that night. Um, and that's how I discovered Razorback. So be, imagine this sort of bunch of 20 year old English dudes, they go to the pub, drink a few pints, come back and stick Razorback on. And just blew our fucking minds, man. That film is just so bonkers. And when I wrote The Rue, my thought process was, i it, The Rue's gotta be a kangaroo version of Razorback but I hadn't seen the film for like 25 years, and I deliberately didn't watch it again before I wrote The Root. And then I wrote the book and got all that sorted out. I was like, right, I'm going to watch it again now. And I was still blown away by just how fucking crazy it is. It's just so Australian. It's just so weird man it's just wild it's so it, it's absolutely like there's nothing more australian in terms of film than razorback waking fright razorback and wolf creek are the kind of a trifecta that will give you a real spread of what's going on as far as australian like non-urban
0: horror i reckon yeah exactly I, I got one more for you guys and i don't know who's like up to date with this because it's a little kid show but bluey is blowing up um, yeah, it, it's, Ooh, it's, brilliant. it's brilliant. I love I love it. Alan, you said some funny stuff. How they don't use all the vocabulary that a father would, or a parent would call a son, son or something. Yeah, yeah.
3: Like <laughs> I mean I mean <laughs> the, the the parents in Bluey really set an uh, an, an unrealistically high bar of how a right? parent. <laughs> <Your> <laughs> it's like that's the only problem I have with it, is like there's I can never
0: be as good a dad as bandit and it's like. <laughs> i try too, man it's impossible he never like he's always in the perfect state of mind yeah they've always the chile and bandit have got way more patience than any real parent but uh yeah (laughs) um but it's interesting because my wife is in this group chat for moms that have you know younger kids and it's a bluey group and it's really neat like it's my you know it's given that connection between um australia and kind of spotlighting it with the world and uh my wife and i are learning stuff about it like they they use terms that i'm not familiar with so because it's like it's an australian show and it's just talking about like a day-to-day life in suburbia in australia so uh that that's kind of that's kind of neat i would think because wouldn't that open up potential uh people to explore more of australia in other ways i think it's becoming more more popular across media like the people are
3: being less parochial about stuff like that and for australians like bluey is so brisbane like it's it's i don't know what that
0: means (laughs) well so
3: (laughs) so brisbane is the capital of queensland right the state of queensland so from an australian perspective it's really clear that bluey is set in queensland presumably brisbane or brisbane suburbs but then from the greater world it's obviously just Australian now i think you get these kind of layers of of identity of what's in there something like that but i think there's definitely more and more hunger for all forms of media film tv books everything that is not just british or american which has just saturated media for so long um and australia's in a great place to provide it because we've got brilliant writers we've got brilliant content in all that media that is ready to to go out there and you know the more people come looking for it the better the more successful things like bluey are the knock-on effect is the more successful people like us have a chance at being because people will be looking oh what else is coming out of australia what else is coming from you know not america whatever
2: there's a really interesting thing about Bluey that I have been hearing about, people calling in in a, the States in particular, having their kids saying Australian expressions like they're going to take the rubbish out, for example, which is apparently not a thing that people say, say in the States. But that's something we all would say. We're taking the rubbish. It's the equivalent of we're going to put the trash out on the curb or, or whatever. But the thing about that as an example that's interesting is it speaks to kind of the, the initial question we were talking about, which is about what is it that makes th- this type of stuff very Australian. Firstly, for me, I wouldn't know how not to do it, but there have been <laughs> times in my professional career where I've said to myself very early on, if this was set in the States, it would be more accessible. Right. If it was set somewhere more identifiable and it didn't seem to have these alienating alienating kind of qualities to it, then it would be more abri- broadly kind of embraced. Well, that's actually total bullshit. That's absolutely not the case. The things that make stuff transferable is stuff that feels real. And that means sometimes I am at a point in my career where I'm like, Nah, I'm just going to write my own experience and double down. And even if people don't understand exactly what a particular word or expression means, if it's just... Genuine on the page, it goes so much louder than it would have been to kind of have held back, and I think that that's some of the things that makes Australian horror fiction, film, e- art really, really interesting. And there are certain things that I think do spring out um, and and are emerging more, which is the which is kind of like the artistic expression of discomfort which i know sounds really really broad but i think it comes from something specific around identity like i think it must be a really blessed thing to know who you are like and i think australians as as a country probably wrestle with this far more than what we actually think we do i remember growing up and being in school and being people like teachers saying to us we're a really young nation i'm like well that's actually bullshit we have the oldest indigenous population on the world this this country belongs to them there is this dichotomy between that relationship and and colonialism here there is the bush as we know it versus the city as we know it there is um there is our, the things that we promote to the world, which is, you know, throw another shrimp on the barbie versus, uh, you know, immigrant populations who are bringing different foods and cultures. And so the, it is this incredible melting pot of contrasts. And I think that there is something that is growing, which is the, the I think, horror in Australia is becoming the horror of the domestic, which is kind of an acknowledgement that we don't exactly know where we fit, how we fit in, and that we walk in parallel with all of these different contrasts continuously and that's why i have never been more excited by australian horror fiction for example and that's why i'm like i've never felt more confidence in the kind of okay to say this is my experience and my relationship with my country and it's not always flattering either and i think that that's really an exciting opportunity for really unique voices and, and and kind of perspectives to kind of come into the picture. There's a really good example, and I went through my bookshelf picking out a couple of really great Australian horror novels that I really love, and one's called Dead Europe by Christos Cholkas, who people might know internationally because he wrote a book called The Slap. Um, which is not a horror novel at all, well, maybe to some degree, and it's um and, and Dead Europe is about a photographer who is uh fr- the the like second generation Greek immigrants in Australia who after the death of their patriarch goes back to to Greece to find the origin stories of all of his grandfather's ghosts stories that he would tell and kind of raise him, and so it's a, a novel that is absolutely about knowing saying I don't know who I am i don't know where i sit in the world but all i know is that my ghosts come with me wherever i go and it's a a really great example of this kind of really hard to define new thing that's happening in horror fiction down here and i think it's great and you certainly see it in karen's work i think definitely just the, the horror of the immediate and the domestic and I can't believe we started off on that spiel by talking about Bluey.
7: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: my, a hell um, of a transition. My <laughs> wife and I always tell my son to take a Bushwee, and that is definitely from Bluey. That's
6: <laughs> I'll not take a Bushwee? A Bushwee? Yeah. All right. Mm. I got, as soon as, as you've you got kids, a, you learn all about Bushwee's, man. But uh-huh. <laughs> Bushwee's not really very acceptable in the States, is it? Or maybe it's just in certain kind of parts of the States. No, I don't it's, know, not the like a, I, it's not
0: <laughs> even like that. It's not even like a thing
6: we say. When, when I was kind of, I don't know, maybe like six or seven, went to the States and stayed with some friends of my parents in Ohio, I think it was. And we went to this big um, cookout and I just went and pissed against a tree and like, Everywhere like the entire, you know, like 30, 40 people at this barbecue just staring at <laughs> <ghast>. Whoa. <laughs> a kid doing a wee, which, you know, is, you know, a bushweed. Like, it's just... What are you supposed to do? Like, like what, 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 what do, you, do what, you just... If there's, there's just
4: no toilets,
5: toilet, what? what are you supposed to do? Lot, when, you, when you're going on any road trip, you certainly see any number of weeds happening along the way. don't you? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, yeah, you I, see I, that thing where the, the,
7: the,
3: the, the car's pulled over at the side of the road with the door open, and there's a parent yeah. doing the crouch,
7: holding the knees the hammock.
6: That's why people good. plant plant trees along the highway, surely. Yes. Yeah. So that's I, I did that's a photo on the, the Sydney Harbour
4: Bridge one time when I was a kid. Uh, we were stuck what? in a traffic jam. True oh. story. I, it actually was quite traumatic. I, I must have been that like, is like not oh. a
5: bushway. That's a bridge. Somewhere between six and eight.
4: Don't judge. Don't judge. And I and I really needed to go. And, like, we were stuck for, like, 45 minutes in this traffic. I mean, it felt like what minutes. It might have been, like, whatever. Uh, so I had to get up, and and mum sort of came with me and shielded me, and I had to sort of piss with these lines of cars oh, like off, off as far as you can see in both directions. And, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm freaking out because this was horrible. I, I think for years it, it fucked with me, and, you know, eventually I see oh, I was cool with it. But, yeah, it was a bush wee
2: on the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Oh, that's also, that's that's I don't recommend
4: it. Like, middle I've... of a
2: traffic jam. I've totally been there, but I've been the driver as an adult in my 30s and gone, <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to get out of this, but if I don't get out of this situation real soon, that uh, lemon iced tea bottle down that's been rolling around <laughs> at the bottom of the car is looking really, really like desperate. Well, so I think. Yeah. Bruce, uh, yeah.
3: British comedian, Sarah Milligan, she tells this story about how she was in a caught in a traffic jam in the UK. She was sitting in her car, and the traffic wasn't going anywhere. She couldn't go anywhere. It was like there were cars everywhere. There was no cover, like fields on the side. There was nowhere to hide. And, so, and she got to the point she couldn't hold it anymore. So she just moved over onto the passenger seat, pissed on the passenger seat, <laughs> moved back into the driver's seat. And when the traffic jam finally cleared, she just drove straight to a car detailing place and went – my dog pissed in my car when I left it in the supermarket. Can you can you like steam in the seats? <laughs> she said she's she uses it as a bit in comedy now, but like would never admit that she actually she she had nothing. She just had no idea what to do, nothing to piss in, so she just pissed on the seat. When you're to go? You, <laughs> to like, go? Yeah. yeah.
5: And this, this is this is where you mean, get like from When you said, um, Patrick, when you said the bush weed, like I kind of went, oh, what's that? Because it's just a weed. Like I, I don't even know that I've just caught it. <laughs> I'm not sure that we've they've renamed it in that show, so it sort of makes sense to... <laughs> That's you know, because your
3: kids are older, Karen, so you haven't been watching bush Bluey B. with any regularity. Oh, no, but,
5: no, but, you, but I'm like, I wouldn't call it a bush wee, though. i just call it doing a wee. Go and do yeah. a wee behind the yeah. a bush Having a slash.
4: Yeah.
5: Having a slash, Yeah.
4: <laughs> is that American or Australian? I, I always thought it
0: was Australian, but I think American. We said taking yeah, a yeah, piss or English, taking man. a leak Well, us undignified <laughs> folks do I can't speak for Candace and Brennan. I do. <laughs> I say taking
2: a piss. <laughs> yeah. I so kind of like, I like Slash. Stuff. I feel
1: like I'm gonna use that now.
4: Slash <laughs> is
2: yeah. awesome, right? You're, You're such like a dad. <laughs> <wrong.
0: laughs> um Aaron, I do want to spotlight your book from uh, last oh whoa, shit, two years ago. Uh, dirty heads a novella because you're talking about like experimentation not knowing and this and that and um that's a good example of that I've never like Chuck Polnick he talks about having a you know um a, a timer I believe it is I might be messing up his I'm not quoting him paraphrasing but he says having a timer and you quite literally have that in dirty heads um I just wanted to hear kind of if you had anything to add about that
2: about the in, in terms of
0: the as far as the experimenting ac- going, uh, experimenting with the literal format of the book. Um, yeah, that might be um, a stretch from Australia specifically, but I just no, kind of wanted funny. you to talk about that book.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I, I appreciate the you highlighting that book. And, it, you know, that book certainly touches on all of the things we've spoken about so far, you know, in terms of identity and and history and our relationship with our past and our futures. And it also touches on all of the, you know, the the tropes as well, which is why I kind of like my kitchen sink little book, which is and it's a smaller book. But what you're talking about is the fact that the chapters I've been I played with the format and the form. Because I'm I'm a writer. I love writing because I love the craft of writing as well, and I really like the idea of kind of messing with it as much as I can. Um, and as I grow as a uh, as a writer, I like to push myself more and to make things more transgressive and to embrace ambiguity and also to use the if people are going to spend their money to buy a book. I want the book to look, feel good, and for it, a book to be the type of thing that has a an actual, for that particular story, I wanted it to, you open it up and the chapters are going to count backwards, even though the story is going to be told in a linear fashion mostly. I want uh, it to have the experience of cracking open a an old VHS kind of clamshell and or chucking a movie in an old VHS machine and begins with tracking lines. And the the book is called Dirty Heads because it references You know, the idea of, you know, tapes used to have get dirty heads and you'd. After you, you'll be watching, you know, Mad Max Two, and all of a sudden, the entire TV screen would just fill with snow or this static of snow, which is very, very incongruous to the the outback setting. Um, and I wanted to replicate some of those tangible feelings through craft and layout in that particular book because it fit the theme so well. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I, I did the the counting down. I've done the counting down of chapters. Uh for a, no- for a number of years now, um, it started in House of Sars because I wanted things to have an immediacy. And I wanted people to have a kind of subliminal dread mechanism that helps to sustain people through um, uh, 300 pages of a book. You know what I mean? It's a It's a cheeky little thing but I really enjoyed playing with it. Uh, different fonts, all sorts of different things. You know, I'm here for it. Let's make let's make books exciting again and also make the act of owning a book and holding it and being able to flip through it as exciting as you possibly can. And I really wanted to put everything into that little book. And people seem to like it for that reason in addition to the story. So, yeah, that's that. that's that book.
4: Subliminal
3: Dread Mechanism is the name of my new band.
4: I literally wrote that down. I'm not even kidding. I've got i I'm like We're a subliminal dread mechanism that is awesome. I love that. Yeah. Fucking brilliant. That's, that's your love new you, album.
3: It's uh, that's such a great tenor phrase.
2: Yeah. Um it's all just it's all just chants. <laughs> it's kind of little chants and Gregorian chants and dr- and and droning <laughs> sounds and then the occasional discordant clap. <laughs> it's always
4: <laughs> every now and then a scream like a half-remembered nightmare in the dark echoes you
7: know? oh it's
4: very good very good
5: that's you waking up after reading joseph's story apparently and- oh my god <laughs> I'm, I'm not,
4: yeah I, I literally haven't gone back to the book yet because i'm too scared it's going to fuck me up even more like i'm <laughs> just sitting there in my pile of shame
0: brennan i think uh now's the time to kind of wrap down and i want you to ask your question that uh, you, you, you had a few good ones. I wanted you to ask your. That went
1: ones. from singular to plural real quick. Um. So, all right. I'm going to throw one over. Wow, that was witty. Thank you. Yeah. Um. So, actually, one thing I've really enjoyed listening to over the last hour or so is the way that every single one of you, uh, when answering a question, doesn't even matter what the topic is always have found ways to kind of segue into supporting each other's work uh and 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 so organically it's really really cool so i'm wondering if you could share uh any other australian writers horror or otherwise that uh people listening to the show might not be aware of or that you would highly encourage them to check out uh anthony i'd love to throw it to you first
4: um, oh, God, there's there's so many, but a, a guy that I sort of discovered recently who happens to be a really nice bloke is uh, Zachary Ashford, who kind of skews from the school of Guy and Smith. I don't know if you know Guy and Smith. Guy and Smith was a guy that wrote crabs. like 11. It, there's, mm. there's a whole bunch of stuff about Guy and Smith in Australia because Spranger, the lead character, is obsessed with him. Uh, but he wrote like 11 novels about killer crabs and two short story collections because legend um and he just you know he, he was the master of the kind of um short sharp creature feature and zachary ashford's really taken that mantle and run with it uh the one by him that i really like recently was called i keep mispronouncing the name but Poly- polyphemus
1: polyphemus
4: um about a a, a um, death metal band or a black metal band i know that fans of both genres get angry when you have confuse them, but I don't care. Uh and so it's a, one of those metal bands uh and they they make a Faustian pact and it's gory and funny and dark and and a, a messy type of thing. And I I thoroughly recommend it. It's a real hoot of a read. Aaron, how about
2: you? Um, a couple of people look I and I really appreciate you kind of highlighting the fact that we do support each other because we really do. Um, I felt that as though I was writing for a long period of time in a vacuum, and then all of a sudden I found my peeps and my and I and I, I totally underestimated how important as a writer community is um and that is something that has made my creative output i think stronger so i think and it's something that really really happens i live in canberra which is for people who don't know is basically kind of like our little washington dc kind of you know public servant town only it's small and it exists in the bush if you go if you go 15 minutes in that direction, you are in the bush. 15 minutes in that direction, you're in the bush. And we are the capital of this, of this country and it's a public servant town. And yet in this weird little kind of cement oasis, there is this incredibly fertile, creative scene that kind of comes from the underbelly of all this. And it is without question, I'm telling you, the epicenter of Australian horror. Like it really has become that. And I think it's, uh, there will one day be essays about what is the weird alchemy of, of why horror kind of springs here when people come in you know from it's just so so weird and so we get a lot of horror writers coming through town which is so 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 fun um we have really great horror writers there There's, if you want a really good solid recommendation i think uh Rob Hood's recent novel uh Scavengers is brilliant his st- short story collection uh peripheral visions is 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 bloody terrific um over and I'm not too sure where he's based but I think Brett McBean is really really great he wrote a book called The Last Hotel that just it absolutely makes makes me squee I think it's really really good. Mm-hmm. I think you absolutely need to check out the works of everyone in this room. There are there are other authors who have kind of worked on the periphery of genre for a long period of time who are you know people I I love Gabriel Lord who wrote Fortress, you know, and Tooth and Claw. Um we last night Victor Kelleher came up at dinner. So there there are a number of different authors and I think that um there, will be, there are people who I'm forgetting that I shouldn't and they will come back to me, but those are just a few that spring to mind.
1: Karen, I'm going to throw it to you. I'm writing down uh,
5: names here. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, we should type them up too in the in the chat so we can make sure we keep track of. Um, I'm going to mention a couple. Uh, Kirsten McBurnett, uh is a woman. She's been writing um, almost as long as I have, which is quite a long time, and been publishing as long. She is just uh, the most amazingly uh, dark, uh, twisted brain of a writer. I just absolutely love her stuff. She often uh, draws in art and uh, the. Why we do the things we do, obsessions. Uh, she writes about relationships, um, and she's not afraid to. She never flinches, as Aaron said before. It's always my 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 uh, my judgment of how how people are well, to, uh, as a writer do they flinch or not. She's amazing. And also, Aaron, Jay
3: Aaron is, what's what's that Kirsten book that was you had through splintered walls, and she had a collection with that same set, and it had that dolls story in it.
5: Yes. Yeah. Well, I can't remember what hers was called. That is an amazing series. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up. That was an incredible series. It's through Twelfth Planet Press, and they did a series called The Twelve Planets, and it was all women writers. And each of, each of us got um, a certain. I think we had 150 pages. So some people had four short stories. I had one novella and three short stories. Um, yeah, Kirsten's was amazing. Kirsten's, I can't remember
3: called it. I'm looking it up for you now. I'm going to find. Caution contains small parts.
5: That's right, yes. That's what it was called. That book
3: is unbelievable. So yours yours is amazing as well, Through Splintered Walls. Those two... Uh, out of that whole selection. Those two in particular just blew my mind. Sorry to
5: interrupt. No, no, thank you. Thank you, Al, for reminding me of that, though. It is an amazing series, definitely worth checking out. Yeah, and to have that opportunity to just write, though, write whatever you wanted and just explore. Mine in that one or explored the landscape in different ways, um, which is exactly what we're talking about, road, creek, uh, sky and mountain were the full stories I had in that one. Um, and one, of the, the mountain was inspired by. There's a certain road that you travel when you get go from Canberra down to the beach, um, and there's a certain part that you stop. And anyone who's travelled that road, who's from Canberra or from down the beach. There's a place called Pooh's Corner, which is about halfway down the mountain, and it's got all Mm. Winnie the Pooh's in there, which have been constantly replaced Mm. over about 20 years, I think. And when you go on that road, when you've got little kids in the car, you're going, oh, just keep an eye out for Pooh's Corner. And then you see Pooh's Corner, and then that kind of distracts them for about half a minute. (laughs) <laughs> um, but the other person I wanted to highlight is uh, J.S. uh who's a Sydney writer, amazing novelist and short story writer. She's got a novella coming out through PS next year, I think, as well as Alan and a couple of others. Um, uh, the Bridge is her latest novel. Her short story collection is, I can't remember. Collision. Gone a blank, but anyway. hey,
1: Political She's amazing.
5: That's Mm. right, Collision, absolutely amazing, um, amazing, amazing writer, just uh, like a master at uh, the way she structures a story, and I've seen her do it. She's absolutely incredible. Um, Mm. So, yeah, that's just a couple that I'd like to mention. List is growing, yeah.
1: Uh, Alan, how about you? Uh, I mean, first of
3: all, just yeah. Second, to all of that. I mean, the people in this Zoom are basically my favorite horror writers in Australia. So that's a start. Um, and Jenny Brookler, um, Kirsten McDermott, outstanding. Another vote for Ash, um, Zachary Ashford. He's he's a he's a real rising star. He's he's a really nice guy, and I d- only discovered him relatively recently. Um, but he is great. He wrote um, when the cicadas stopped singing. Um, which is a great title for a book and it's basically a sort of creature feature, but it's got so much more than that. Uh, and you've got me to thank for why it's called that because the title he originally had on it was terrible. Um, <laughs> but uh, but, it, but it, was, it was such a great book. Um, and, and so that was where I first discovered him. Um, but I will also drop a mention for someone else. Joanne Anderton is mm. uh, a writer who doesn't get enough, uh, she, I mean, she doesn't promote herself enough as well, and I kick her ass about it all the time. She's genuinely one, one of the best writers Australia's produced. She's absolutely outstanding. And she's got um, uh, a couple of, she's got some novels. She had a, a trilogy of sort of um, these kind of weird science fantasy novels. Um, but with, in terms of horror stories, she writes amazing horror that often overlaps science fiction um, in a really unique way. She's got a collection called The Bone Chime Song, um, and her more recent collection is the what's it called? Art the uh, the art, of art, of art of broken things, is it? I'm having yeah, a mental yes. blank. Yes, the art of broken yeah. things. I'm sorry, I just had to double check. Yeah, that was a new, the latest one that came out. Uh, her stories are just are just superb. She's absolutely worth checking out. She's a brilliant writer. She's got her ideas are just so twisted. She's awesome. So, yeah, that would be that would mine
1: my, my tip on top
3: of everyone else.
1: Man, Joseph, I'm, I'm so sorry to save you for last. Do you, ha- do, no. do you have anybody
6: to add? <laughs> it sucks to be last on a thing like that. <laughs> Everyone has said, all of the people that I would have said, i definitely kind of echo uh, Kirsten McDermott and uh, Joe Anderton. Again, like Al, she's like one of my favorite, um, you know, present company accepted one of my favorite. <laughs> of- <laughs> um, the one person we haven't mentioned who is a big favorite of mine is Matthew R. Davis. Um, mm, okay, good, call. good call. fantastic books uh one of my favorites of his is called the dark matter of natasha yeah which is um it's one of those books we it's a kind of a throw it across the room when you're done uh <laughs> um, it's so awful like sort of ballsily awful and it goes to all of the worst places and then just stays there and then refuses <laughs> to kind of repent at the end uh but it's brilliant uh, and everyone should go out and read it.
3: That's a great example, especially with horror, of how much you can get into a novella. Because that's probably yeah. I don't know, but I'm guessing it's probably like thirty-five thousand words or something. It's it's very much a horror novella, and there is just so much crammed in that story. It's it, you it's know
6: very Australian. It's very
3: Australian. Very Australian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very nostalgic as well for even for people like us who didn't grow up in Australia. There's that overlap. Growing up anywhere, and in this case particularly Australia, it's like yeah. yeah.
6: Sort of scungy teenage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Times you'd rather not remember too much. Oh, filth
0: and regret. <laughs> Brennan, you want, uh, want me to take this away? Yeah, go for it. Um, yeah. So normally we just ask, like, uh, what you're reading right now. And I'd like to know that. But um, I also want to throw on there. If we haven't covered something that you want to talk about, um, when it's your turn, definitely bring up any topic you want. So we'll start with Karen. What are you you currently reading? And is there anything
5: that we missed that you want to talk about? Oh, gosh. Well, that second part's a very big question. Um, (laughs) I'm not sure about that. Open open (laughs) Open-ended. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm reading through an awards at the moment, for um, which some, I can't actually talk actually what I'm reading. I've been reading 38 or something books for that, but I can't mention them quite yet. Um, but what I'm about to read and have started reading, and I can't stop talking about this book, um, The Executioner's Song. Norman Mailer. It's it's a fictional non fiction novel type thing inspired by Gary Gilmore. So it's not an Australian book, sadly. Um, but by Gary Gilmore, who was the guy who killed two people in the nineteen seventies when he was uh, robbing robbing shops and things, and was determined to die. He he wanted to be put to death. He didn't want to spend life in jail. And I hadn't never thought I would read this book, but I listened to the audio book of it, and just some of these details were so disturbing and so fascinating things like he had a much younger girlfriend i think she was 20 or 22 when he was 38 something like that and he had convinced her that she needed to die as well he was going to die and she should die so he arranged for her to get hold of lots of sleeping pills he made her give him half i'm not going to describe on air how he how she smuggled them in and then how he smuggled them out again but anyway um But that didn't work because she didn't have enough. So she was in hospital for six months, something like that. But then his last gift to her, he took his watch, which was the only thing of value he had left. He set it to the time of his death because he knew, of course, what time he was going to die because he was being executed, and he smashed it. And he said, give that to my girlfriend. And that just gives me goosebumps. Like, who does that? What is that about? So I'm absolutely fascinated by him fascinated by he still had people around him who were supporting him and loved him even though he came across as this like how how can you love someone like that so I'm fascinated to know how people can still love a man who behaves like that um so yeah that's what I'm that's what I'm going to get stuck into once I finish the reading for this awards
0: yeah, I'm never gonna pretend I can guess what you're gonna say. Well, my mind, again. Yeah.
5: that's cool. that's a wild <laughs> story. Um, yeah, amazing. I mean, I mean, it's part of your history, I suppose, to a certain extent. But it was a long time. Yeah, you know, it was quite a long time ago. Um, and the book is in, is. Uh, based on long, long interviews. Like he was quite a well-educated man. He's described as being really intelligent, this Gary Gilmore. Um, So based on a series of many, many interviews that they did with him and with all the people around him. Norman Mailer did some, but there was a couple of other journalists who would basically take it in turns to talk to him because it was exhausting and I think totally demoralising by the end of it. So just, just fascinated by some of the details of the things that he did and... What it means about the legal system, and you know, someone fighting to be put to death, determined to die. Um, and in a way, that's my book, Tide of Stone, is about men like him, I guess. These in Tide of Stone, it's people like him, but even worse human beings who are given eternal life and locked up. So it's exactly. Exactly. The, as the, as the exact soon as you started opposite. talking
3: about it, I started thinking about Titus Stone, going, yeah. you know, I've read Karen's book, I'd choose death too. <laughs>
5: yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, yes, so, did, like, like, did he get away? Like, how, how does he have the right? Like, he killed these two young men with young families no reason whatsoever, they weren't even going to be real witnesses. They didn't, He just did it because he felt like it and leaving those families behind and how they would feel about him getting what he wants. And it was even things like he wanted his ashes spread over different places so a whole bunch of people got into an aeroplane and off they went and they did exactly what he wanted. Like how did he get that right to get his ashes spread where he wanted them wow. to be spread as opposed to flush down the toilet or whatever's the most disgusting thing you can think. To do with someone's ashes, so god, yeah, that's... how he manipulated people, how he managed to get exactly what he wanted is fascinating to me, yeah. Um,
4: mm. like a really inspiring story for sociopaths, like we're all appalled, yes. but if you're a sociopath, you're like, Wow, he did so yeah, well! Had, oh yeah, my had, god, oh, had, what an inspiring
5: story, <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> and how charisma, you know, how charisma gets someone through so much, yeah, you uh, know, yeah, as yeah. opposed to somebody who does very good works but they're don't have that charisma and don't have that instant likability or whatever. Like, clearly he must have had that to get away with it. Yeah. And so I'm just really, you know, we all explore that stuff in our work, I think, is like, how do, how do people get away with stuff? How, how is one character likeable and the other character not likeable and yet one's doing, one's murdering people and we still like them. And Fascinating.
0: Yeah. yeah. Jay, you're next. Good luck. Uh,
6: <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, well, I'm, uh, I'm going to switch tack completely because, like, um, I'm actually having a, you know, I'm like, I'm reading a lot of comics at the moment, just because, uh, you know, sometimes you just want to not read words.
0: <laughs>
6: yeah. uh, but in terms of kind of books that I'm reading, the ones that are popping out, are what I'm reading with my kids, Um, both of them are kind of, at, so my kids, like nine, 13-year-old boys. Um, With one, I'm reading Watership Down, which, um, you know, I'm sure everyone, if you haven't read it, you've seen the movie. Uh, and if you haven't then jesus go out and (laughs) do both of those things right now like i've read this book probably like three or four times in my life and every time i read it i'm like fuck that is absolutely the best book that's ever been written in the history of all books ever and uh even reading you know reading it again this time like yeah literally the fourth time knowing everything that's going to happen i'm still having my mind completely blown apart by just how exceptionally good it is and um how much I feel for all those rabbits—they're like they're <laughs> like brothers to me, man. Like uh, I'm so close to all of them, and I—we're we're bearing down on the on the heartbreak at the end, and uh, I'm, I'm not sure I'm emotionally prepared yet. You're reading it uh, with the nine-year-old or the thirteen-year-old? The nine-year-old, yeah. So, oh, they're, they're dude, <laughs> there will be fallout possibly this weekend. So I'm I'm bracing <laughs> Uh, with my my eldest, we're we're having this kind of hardcore Robert Louis Stevenson thing. Um, so we read "Kidnapped," which was which was kind of okay. I, I struggled with "Kidnapped" because I like to do the voices, and it's all in Scotland. And it was like, dude, I can't do this. My Scottish accent is shit. But now we're doing <laughs> my fucking pirate. Now that you know, I've got some serious chops with the um, with the pirate voices. You need whiskery in there
3: home. as well with Treasure Island. You got to go from Bristol.
6: Oh oh, yeah, absolutely. You can do a bit of that too. yeah, like uh, um, <laughs> but um that book, man, it's like you I've ne- I've, I've never read it before now. and you oh, think yeah. of the sort of the film versions of it, which are all these kind of super disnified, you know mm-hmm. stage set Errol flynn like kind of people prancing around in stripy pants with uh, you know bandanas on and whatnot. But that book is fucking brutal. It is absolutely, mm. it's absolutely <laughs> brutal. Like, I don't know if he wrote it for kids, <laughs> you know, and I keep just imagining, like, desperate that the, the kind of Cohen brothers would do a True Grit style um, remake of Treasure Island, um, <laughs> just absolutely as kind of dark and brooding and brutal. You know, pirates, are, Yeah, uh, I want to do swearing that probably isn't allowed here, but they're, they're, they're you not nice swear people. Swear all you want, Jay. Ah. I know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna slide over that one. But yeah, I was gonna really express myself in swearing there. But yeah, they're not nice people, and they don't come across as nice people. They just come across as scary, awful people, not to be emulated. But just,
3: just when he first arrives at the inn. Um, and just the way the book portrays him and as he arrives and the way that he's he's just his presence there it's it's genuinely upsetting like these people are just no. fucking awful yeah, it's, it's like a,
6: a home invasion
3: book. but like yeah, book. Book. yeah 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 it's yeah. a brilliant oh, book yeah and i don't um, i think i think back then people didn't really write for kids they just wrote stories and it's like you yeah. know it's like oh there's pirates and this kids will enjoy it and it sort of, sort of becomes well, a children's story I mean, but it's, and absolutely they, love not. they love
6: it in the same yeah. way as they love you know, brutal old fairy tales. I'm just yeah, gonna be <laughs> one last point. thing. One last thing. So, a, a book that I just finished for myself was um, "The Migration" by Helen Marshall, um, oh. which I, I was amazing. Like, uh, I, I've not read any of her work before, but um, had seen lots of people talking about her stuff. And uh, I think it's, I think it's the only novel that she's written. Hmm. Um, but it's a real kind of like a, a end of the world apocalypse kind of scenario um, with some very strange body horror shit going on that is ultimately incredibly hopeful. Like it's, it's hope, everything collapsing and turning to shit, but there being some capacity for us to evolve beyond it. Yeah. Very, very good book if you've not read it.
2: Yeah. Aaron, you're next. I'm almost finished reading a bloody terrific book. It's called White Horse. And it's by Erica T. Worth. Yep. And I just want to make just wanted to make sure I get this correct. She is from uh, 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 Apache, uh, Chickasaw, and Cherokee descent. Um, this book is horror. Um, it is about a, a kind of a, a, a young woman who is inherits a bracelet that essentially evokes a kind of Native American grief, Bigfoot that is following her. Um, in the wake of, of of a central mystery around uh, involving her mother. And this thing is creepy and wonderful, and I'm absolutely loving it. So there was that I'm on the tail end of. I just finished a really great book called Gemini Rising by Justin Lutz, which was a very, very small novella, and people will love it. I'm super excited about reading John Bowden's new one, uh, which is called Snarl, which is, I think, out of yeah. this weird name the biggest John Bowden fan. I think John Bowden is one of our most unsung kind of voices in horror at the moment. Um, okay. And and I am reading the most random thing, uh, and it's here next to me. It's completely out of print, um, and it's called The Killing of the Unicorn by Peter Bogdanovich, who is a filmmaker. And this is his... Um, it is about the murder of Dorothy Stratton, the actress who was murdered, who was basically uh, picked out of a Dairy Queen in Vancouver at the age of 18 by a real sleaze ball. This is a true story in the very early 80s and within 12 months was... Uh, in the Playboy mansion, and was Playgirl of the year, and was um, graduated into film. And her partner and business partner was this incredibly toxic, abusive monster of a pimp, you know. And uh, um, she left him for Peter Bogdanovich, who directed the Last Picture Show, uh, you know, Paper Moon, incredible, brilliant films. And then she, and then she was murdered horrifically by the ex-partner. Um, and Peter Bogdanovich, within a year and a half of her passing, wrote this novel, uh, this, this, this nonfiction piece. And the reason that I bring it up is that I have a really kind of interesting relationship with true crime, fic- um, you know, books. I'm actually really not interested in facts. Um, I don't find true crime very interesting for me personally. I would, um, I'm really interested in kind of grief reconciliation pieces when it comes to true crimes This is a really great example of somebody who can is trying to bring someone back from the dead by honoring them and is absolutely one track and trying to punish someone who isn't alive anymore because the guy who killed him, it was a, it was a murder suicide pact. Um, And he's trying to write someone back to life and it's incredibly loving, but the, the, but that doesn't happen. Another a very similar type of book is um, Who Killed My Daughter by Lois Duncan. Lois Duncan wrote I Know What You Did Last Summer. Um, incredible, you know, ju- junior teenage um, horror fiction uh, through the 70s, 80s and 90s. And her daughter was murdered in a terrible crime and she wrote a book where she basically is trying to justify why someone who... She's putting together a defence as to why this particular person may have done it, and she's literally breaking into people's homes to try to gather up evidence, and you just want to reach inside the book and hug this poor woman as she kind of is slipping down a rabbit hole that you know is really not going to lead anywhere other than just continuously hurting herself, and this book is like that too. I'm kind of fascinated by it because the facts don't matter. It's really about... Trying to love someone back to life and you just can't do it. Yeah, The Killing of the Unicorn. Fascinating, flawed, but I'm so into it. That's what I'm reading at the moment. Random shit. <laughs> awesome. And, uh, Ethne.
4: Uh, okay. So, um, I like, uh, as anyone who's read any of my stuff will know, as I like to cross genres um, a lot. So I tend to read things from multiple genres simultaneously. Uh, so in terms of horror, uh, I've got um, Joseph's book, which uh, hopefully will cause me fewer anxiety attacks. But um, I'm still reading that one. Um, I'm also reading uh, *Lonesome Dove*, like the kind of quintessential American Western. Um, I don't know why I picked it up. I love westerns. I guess that's why I picked it's it up. It's one of my favorite just,
3: novels of all time, man. It's it soft. is
4: my fucking superb. Like I'm yeah. about halfway through, and, and the richness of the language, and the character work, and the sense of place, and the kind of casual um, storytelling that that seems almost half-assed, and then you sort of get a few chapters in, and you go, oh, this is all sort of coming together. I understand this now. Uh, just, just wonderful stuff. Um, really superb. Highly recommend. It's one of those books that you know. Um, one of those Pulitzer Prize winning, you should probably read this before you die books. And if you find a lot of those overrated, this one isn't, I promise you. Um, there's also, the other-
3: sorry, sorry to interrupt Anthony, but there's, oh, there's okay. if you do audio book, Lee Horsley read Lonesome Dove and it's like a 34 hour audio book or something like that. Uh, right. an outstanding job. So it's a brilliant way to, to have that story told to you because the, the narration is superb. The character work is brilliant.
2: Yeah, Anything wonderful. by Larry McMurtry. You know, yeah, he's Lonesome Dove. I have become right. over the past 12 months obsessed with Larry McMurtry, and I read Lonesome Dove recently, and it blew my mind. I, so good. I love that you brought this up.
4: It, it entirely lives up to the hype. Uh, the other one I'm reading is She is the Darkness, um, which is the sixth or seventh book in the Black Company series by Glenn Cook, which is... This kind of dark fantasy series set in a series of war-torn fantasy um, places, which is described by um, Stephen Erickson as Vietnam on peyote, like it's fan- fantasy Vietnam. So it's this this weird mix of war-torn horror, but also kind of wizards and and whatnot. And I've, I've become vaguely obsessed with Glenn Cook, um, who's this this multi-genre-crossing author that pumps out these. Well, he used to. I think he's sort of slowed down these days. But has pumped out series in in multiple genres, and again, I love that. I, I love when writers can tackle multiple genres, like your Joelle Lansdales and and people like that. Just kind of they can they're across everything, and they can mix elements of of each genre. That that is really fascinating to me. Um, and if I may break with the formula a little bit, up next I've got Tide of Stone by um, uh, our own Karen Warren, which I cannot fucking wait to read because I, t- I had had a look at the first chapter and I was like, oh Jesus Christ, Karen! <laughs> <laughs> All right.
7: Yes. This, and, and, and I don't to want
4: to sound out. like I, I don't want to sound like a sucker, up, but I also have Dirty Heads ready next on my list. I've actually got signed copies from both of these guys because uh, I met them uh, at a. Um, uh, Supernova, and then there was a, another event we did um, for a Spec Fiction Festival, uh, Spec fic- Fiction Festival. I'm sorry, um, and I just want to reiterate what you were talking about before, um, Brennan. The, the the sense of community with this, I guess, very small um, family of Australian writers is really wonderful because I'm just a weird, massive-headed, awkward dork, and to, to meet these kind of people who are sort of say, "Hey, come in, you're welcome in this club that I'm relatively new to." has been really wonderful and really kind of affirming of my choice to kind of, you know, move into novels from screenplays and movies as well. Um, So it's just a a wonderful thing to see, you know, and I thank you all for it. Alan as well, who basically organized half this stuff um, is, is like the, you know, um, patriarch of of this whole thing. And um, it's it's just (laughs) wonderful. I thank you for
0: it. Yeah, he absolutely is. And now Alan, you, sir.
3: Okay. Um, so I'm reading, well, so C.S. Humble um, is, Seth Humble is a, an author. I was asked, because Salo, oh, I'll get to the point of this in a minute. Why don't I start at the beginning? So Cemetery Dance published Salo Bend. They also are publishing Seth Humble's um, uh, like weird Western series. And they asked me, would I, would I read for a blur? So I'm currently reading book three in this trilogy. So the first one is The Massacre at Yellow Hill. The second one is A, a Red Winter in the West. Um, and I'm currently reading the third one, which is called uh, Light of a Black Star, um, which isn't out yet, but is coming out, I think, later this year. Um, and it's it's brilliant. The first two are out, um, and the third one's coming out. It's basically, I mean, it starts off kind of like, almost like you might expect a sort of horror Western to start, and then it sort of gets more and more weird and kind of alternate history I I can't really say too much about it without giving too much away um but it it involves all sort of creatures it's got body horror it's got cosmic horror and it's all set against this really sort of richly realized um western background um with really cool interesting characters and stuff like that so I'm currently reading the third book in that series which is due out later this year so I if you're if you like a bit of weird weird western action um The Massacre at Yellow Hill is is the first one um which is well worth a read um and I've also got coming up next on the NBR talking about supporting each other I've got um Emma After is sitting there which is coming up with Anthony's book I've got um Joseph's collection is sitting on the tbr as well ready to come up next um so yeah these these are always always the ways that that it goes we the support in this community is awesome um and we just we punch above our weight there's so many great writers over here you could you could honestly just spend all your time just reading the output of australian writers and and never get bored and have a massive variety of cool stuff to read so yeah easily done yeah
0: yeah, definitely agree. Uh Candice, what are you currently what are you currently reading?
7: I can't talk. What am I currently reading? Ah uh, Um Snarl is one we just men- mentioned. I just started that uh two nights ago. Um John Bowden reading that for our review for the website. I just finished the uh, Karen slots Karen Slaughter's new one after that night. Um, I have about 97,000 more on my TBR list to read by November for the website. And uh, yay! Uh, I'm reading everything by everybody. And then I just wrote down all the books that they just named to add to my TBR list because, <laughs> well, you know, I have to now.
1: It's not big <laughs> enough.
7: <laughs> it's not, and that's gonna cut down on my like three and a half hour nap that I take every night.
0: <laughs> Brennan, I want to save you for last. I'm Bye. I'm sixty percent through the Demon of Devil's Cavern. It's Brennan's book. Um, I told him this. It's gonna be impossible for me to not sound biased because he's, I say he's one of my best friends. But it's fucking good. It's it's my favorite book by him. Um, and I'll, it comes out in twenty twenty four. It's a sequel to his uh, Western Noose, and um, I don't know. I'm I'm really impressed with it. Not you know not to say my word means anything, but like he's come a long ways, and he started off really good with uh, his first book, Slattery Falls. But this is just uh, this is just another league. It's really really well written. Um, talking of talking of good westerns and weird westerns noose was a great book yeah and alan was kind
1: enough to lend me some uh uh oh my gosh i can't think of words it's too late um <laughs> alan was kind enough to blurb it so that i could use his words to sell copies <laughs> <laughs> well i hope it worked it was good it was a good book it's worth selling copies
4: thank you sir i'm literally popping all these in my to be read pile
1: yeah yeah these. yeah <laughs>
3: he's a uh, piece of paper he is going crazy with stuff i'm writing yeah. down
1: <laughs> brennan your turn buddy well first of all thank you for uh the uh for more free advertisement um yeah no i'm i'm, I'm super proud of that book I, I also would like to talk about john Bowden, though because as we mentioned he is so underrated and humble and everything he writes is just it's gorgeous um and snarl is no exception that book um you know you you hear that the best endings if you will are they're surprising yet inevitable and i almost can't think of a better example than what he pulled off in in that book um really really special book and i hope a lot of people check it out um i'm also reading uh things get ugly by joe Arlansdale, uh crime stories and you know i i, I love i will read anything joe puts out but it the variety in this one is absolutely mind blowing like you have two stories side by side and like one is this anthropomorphic almost like smokey the bear type character if he was a sex pest um and it's hilarious <laughs> oh. and it's brutal um, so <laughs> <laughs> but then like the very next story is this like deep dive inside the mind of like a mass shooter. And it's like the like the just the juxtaposition there is absolutely wild, but both are so unique and so well done. And they you you almost wouldn't even realize they were the same writer. But I mean Joe is Joe. It's always gonna kind of have his stamp on it uh and i also want to throw out there i'm reading the uh the dead take the a-train it's uh richard cadry and cassandra oh, and Cass cool yeah yeah and it is it, it has that kind of like uh cass's cosmic horror with uh with richard's gritty fantasy but it's like it's just this over caffeinated like balls to the wall thrill ride like it's the the pacing is just absolutely wild and the biggest thing is you can absolutely tell that they had a blast writing it um and i i love when that comes through when you pick up a book and you can just feel how much fun the author or authors in this case had uh putting it together so that's what i've got patrick back to you sir
0: yeah we're just gonna do where can people follow you so uh aaron where can people follow you
2: um gosh what, you, what do we call Twitter now? I don't even know. We call, we call it, it Twitter. Twitter. Oh, no, Twitter. Call it Twitter. I, I call it Dirty X because, like, <laughs> the app is made of, like, distressed denim. So you can find me on Dirty X. Uh, actually, don't Google me on Dirty X.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How does uh, the porn star thing come
2: to it, a full circle? That was it, unexpected. It all, it all comes together. Um... <laughs> um Sorry, we talked, uh, what, what was the question? <laughs> where do you find me? So you where can find people me watch you, at, follow you? On Twitter, at Aaron Drives. I have a TikTok that I use occasionally. That's actually become a really fun place to hang out. Uh, I'm on threads. I'm on Instagram. I am still haunting the, the corridors of Facebook. You can hit me up via my website, or if you're in Canberra, come and say hi. Awesome. <laughs> uh, Karen, where can people follow you?
5: Um, I'm on the the Dirty X Twitter and Blue Sky, hopping over there, but I've done not very much, and Insta. And, of course, the three of us, Aaron and Joseph and I, have our podcast, Let the Cat In. I think that's a really good way to find all three of us and hear us do more of this blardy blaring. Yes, we may argue about sausage rolls and things like that, um, but we do a lot of interesting chatting with people as well. So I think that, yeah, that um, website is a good way to uh, keep up with us all too.
0: That's great. Um, Joseph, where can people follow you?
6: Uh, okay. Well, I was, Karen beat me to it. Like, uh, so the, the website, we're going plug hard for Let the Cat In. Do it. Uh, is it. L- podcastcom ltcipodcast.com. Uh, and there's loads of episodes talking to kind of cool people, um, but also us talking shit. Uh, in terms of me, uh, my website is spooktapes.net. And I'm at spook tapes at all the things where places have an app before them.
0: <laughs> that's great. Uh, Anthony, how about you,
4: buddy? Uh, yeah, I'm on, on the usual places. I think I'm claw talk on dirty X. I'm um, uh, stray book on there as well. Stray book on Instagram. And I think just my name on Instagram as well. And also Facebook. Cause I'm old and I like writing big slabs of text. Um, that's, <laughs> that's kind of my jam. Um, yeah, just, just the usual places. I shouldn't be too hard to find. Um come and have a chat and we'll talk about stuff.
3: Alan. Um yeah, my website's always the best place to go. It's just alanbaxter.com.au. Um you can find links to everything else from there. I'm on Twitter. I refuse to call it X fuck Elon. Um he you'll find me on there just at Alan Baxter as well. But yeah, there's hit the contact page on my uh, on my website and that's everything indeed is there. I've got a Substack newsletter and stuff as well, so I'm easily found if you just go to alanbaxter.com.au You
7: can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, Facebook as me or as Uncomfortably Dark. You can also get in touch with me through the Uncomfortably Dark website as well, and there's a contact form out there Also, and I have a link tree floating around out there too, which will take you to absolutely all of my stuff. So, Brennan.
1: Uh, BrennanLafaro.com has all the links to the things. Um, typically, it's at BrennanLafaro on almost everywhere but TikTok. I won't do it. <laughs> I want to see you
2: dance. Come on, let's do
1: some dances. <laughs> you do not, Aaron, I promise you. <laughs> I bet he
6: does. He does. <laughs> he does.
0: I do. You can follow me at PR McDonough on uh Instagram or uh Twitter. You can follow the show, Deadhead Space, um, on pretty much all the sites you would expect on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, uh, threads, if that's still a thing. Um <laughs> yeah i just wanted to thank this was a long episode holy shit so this is a this is a good way to get back into it um the last episode like i said in the beginning was a panel episode and this just felt like the other side of the world like the australian equivalent seriously not kissing ass this this was just um as much fun so i appreciate your time karen aaron alan anthony and jay uh I also appreciate your time there, Candice and Brennan. You listener, next episode two hundred six is with Karen Slaughter. That should be fun. As always, your bank Trishan podcast. Thank you for checking out. Sweet inside social